For our study this evening, please have your Bible ready in John chapter 4. One of the interesting and useful kinds of narratives in the New Testament is discovered in passages like this, where Jesus is having a conversation with someone, and we get to listen in. It helps us understand Jesus. It provides insight into human reactions, human beings, and how they think. It just holds great value for us to read and study these sections of Scripture where Jesus is engaged with someone in conversation. Now, this is a long reading, but I am not inclined to break it up or abbreviate it. John chapter 4, from verse 1 down through verse 39. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship 
what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Here's where I want to begin our study. When we want water, we get up and walk a few feet within our home to a faucet or refrigerator and get the water we need, sometimes in a plastic bottle, prepackaged. Not much thought needs to occur. The process of getting the water to our house, we may give little thought to that. We just take for granted the convenience of having running water and modern-day plumbing. Here's the way it was for this woman and others who lived in Samaria. It would be hot, noisy, crowded with adults, children, animals. The well could have been as much as two miles away. You must carry a water pot that would hold approximately five gallons. And you need to time your trip so that you arrive at the well at a time when it's not crowded, perhaps at a cooler time of day. All these factors go into the planning just to get water. Just for this woman to get sufficient water to drink and for the domestic uses around the house, very hard work. This daily trip to the well. She would have to let the bucket down perhaps as much as a hundred feet, draw it up, pour it into her water pot, put that pot on her shoulder, and carry it back home. Life was hard for her. 
There is another part of the story about this woman. She was a woman of Samaria, and generally Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Here's the background of that. There was a prejudice between Jews and Samaritans that was long-standing. Long before Jesus came, when the Assyrians invaded and destroyed Samaria, they carried out of Samaria the best and strongest people, leaving behind the weaker in the judgment of the invaders. Then two other world empires, after Assyria, used Samaria as what they would consider to be a dumping ground, especially during the time of Babylonian power. The Babylonians considered themselves to be a superior race, so would send to Samaria those they thought were inferior. And as this history unfolded, Samaria became known as a place for inferior mixed people who were treated with contempt by many of the Jews. So the Jews and Samaritans just didn't get along. They didn't associate. This long-standing prejudice was passed on from generation to generation. You see, this meeting between Jesus and this woman was extraordinary on several levels. She was exhausted. Jesus was tired. She was a woman, he was a man, she was a Samaritan, he was a Jew. Under ordinary circumstances, they would say nothing to each other. In fact, they might avoid one another, not even making eye contact, or the woman might wait until the Jewish man was gone. And there was yet one more factor that might have kept these two apart, she was not a woman of good moral purity in her background. She had been with several men. And according to Jesus, the man she was with at the time was not a lawful husband by God's law. Everything was against these two people even greeting one another, much less having a conversation. But Jesus was no ordinary Jewish man. And Jesus was a master of using opportunities with people. He started this way. Jesus simply asked for a drink. And that brings us to verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This is how it all started. And what follows is one of the most wonderful and insightful conversations recorded in God's Word. Jesus doesn't waste time taking this conversation right to the most important matter, living water. What everybody needs to have spiritual life with God is living water, given by God, and Jesus is that living water. Remember that sin kills us. I read one time someone saying, sin takes the life out of you, similar to dehydration. Our need, therefore, is spiritual water in order to have spiritual life. Jesus is the life-giving water God offers. 
You cannot really live, not wise, authentic living for eternity without partaking of the living water. Like Solomon, you may have money, entertainment, gardens, houses, sex, power, and everything the world has to offer, yet discover that those earthly things leave you empty. The only way to live your life with authentic wisdom and relationship with God and eternal expectation is to drink of this living water. Jesus is what we need, and coming to Him, surrendering to Him, living in obedience to Him, being cleansed by His blood, is the only way to live and die. Jesus wanted this Samaritan woman to know this, to respond, and to have what she had missed in life so long. At first, she didn't understand. Verses 11 and 12, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. People respond to new information based on their previous knowledge and experience. She didn't get what Jesus meant by saying living water. Her response shows she reacted according to her previous knowledge and experience with water. Jesus' next statement was designed to underscore the difference between physical water and spiritual water. He said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. We all know this. You can't drink just one glass of water for the whole week. To be properly hydrated, you must repeatedly drink water. So Jesus said to the woman, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, the physical water. Jesus wants her to know about another kind of water and another kind of life, another well that she can draw from. And Jesus is the one through whom this water of life is given. Her response, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. It has still not registered that there are two kinds of water, and Jesus is talking to her about the higher kind, the water of life. But now, Jesus takes the conversation to a very personal matter. He says to her, Go call your husband and come here. Jesus knew. She had had five husbands, and she was now living with a man outside of marriage. Now, stop there. Today, many people say, so what? What's the big deal? Marriage is just living with someone. So what? Multiple marriages as you see fit. So what? This is not an issue today with most people in the world. It was and is an issue for Jesus and for his followers today. Jesus believed and spoke God's law of marriage. Both John the Baptist and Jesus did not dodge the subject of marriage and divorce and adultery. In fact, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, read all of them. There is clear commitment to God's law of marriage, and while culture may celebrate adultery 
and degrade the strict, permanent law of God, and while our society may take an indifferent attitude toward divorce, the Bible is clear, and Jesus was clear in speaking to this woman. And I think she's beginning to understand. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. But then the conversation takes another turn. She makes a statement that reflects something that could be called comparative religion. Notice how she compares her religious forefathers with the Jews. It is like how people often engage in religious thought with confusion mixed in. You'll hear people say, well, this is what I've always done. It is different from what you're saying and doing. Tell me what the difference is. And people get engaged in the practice of comparing one religion to another, sometimes without ever getting to the truth of God. Jesus didn't spend much time with that. He told her a time is coming when anyone can become true worshipers of God and respond to God in spirit and in truth. I want to bring up four things we can take from this conversation between Jesus and this woman in Samaria. Four things. Number one, never think that Jesus doesn't know or that God cannot see the real you, that God or Jesus have some kind of difficulty with a background check. Never think that Jesus doesn't know or that God cannot see everything there is to see and know about you. Twice in the book of John, with Nathaniel and now this woman of Samaria, the hidden realities of a person's life are known in heaven. That's clear. It may be relatively easy to hide things from people, but you cannot hide anything from God, and you can never have the kind of life God wants you to have until you face those hidden realities and understand that God knows and that repentance is the only right response. Cover-ups just don't work with God. Any relationship you've ever had, any affairs, any thoughts, you should not have entertained any evil involvements all known by God. Number two, Discussions of religion must get beyond comparative religion before truth can be sought and known and obeyed. Did you know that at the college level in religious studies in some universities, the big thing is comparative religion, where you take hundreds of religious practices and organizations and study them, their origin, and then you compare one to the other and that's it. People really get interested, and it is intriguing, and it can virtually become a hobby and a subject of discussion and course study in books just to compare one religion to another. But then outside the academic community, there are many people who simply never get beyond comparative religion. People will ask me, how are you different from me? And they will sometimes say, how is your group different from my group? How are you different from other churches of Christ? 
and often it becomes clear there is not really a solid interest in Bible study yet, just a curiosity about how one thing compares to another. Well, what I like to do is respond by saying, let's open the Bible and see what God wants us to do. Knowing how one church differs from another will not save anyone from sin. Even if we talk about the differences, what we must do as quickly as we can is open the Word of God because that's where the saving power is. If we must compare something to something else, let's compare what we believe and do to what the Word of God says we ought to believe and do. We will conclude there are changes that need our attention. Number three, let's learn how valuable the testimony of one person can be. Our society is so geared toward big organizations and mass advertising and huge marketing campaigns, etc. We've lost sight of the value of what one person can do. Yet there is evidence of it. One email written by one person can circulate around the world in a few days, a few hours, regardless of the validity of the message. One person can start a revolution. One person can cause the death of hundreds. One person can feed hundreds. One person can raise a child well who raises another, and through generations, powerful influences can occur. This one woman became the spark of spreading the word of Christ through the region of Samaria. And it may remind you of this written by Helen Keller, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. Number four, let's learn from Jesus, the master teacher, how to use conversation for the spiritual benefit of people we encounter. Put this into a modern context and think about meeting someone at a water fountain. We do not think of most situations of encounter with people in terms of evangelistic opportunity. Jesus did. Jesus is our example, our model of how to reach people and teach people, and part of his model is using one-on-one -on -one conversations to the spiritual benefit of the person you're talking to. We need to think of conversation beyond small talk, weather, politics, and jokes. We need to look for and listen for and detect openings to talk to people about the things that really matter. And there are other examples of this. Philip teaching the man from Ethiopia, Aquila and Priscilla teaching Apollos, Paul teaching Timothy, Peter teaching Cornelius. What are we learning? Every conversation you have with a non-Christian holds potential to reach a sinner and teach someone to become a Christian. We need to let Jesus train us and teach us and lead us so that we become individual evangelists. 
she didn't, the Samaritan woman, she didn't set up a ministry organization or preach sermons or write books. She simply said to people, come, see a man which told me all things I ever did. Is this not the Christ? One sentence, a powerful invitation, and a good example for us. Her simple testimony had such great impact in Samaria. And a footnote here, I've wondered about this statement in verse 28, the woman then left her water pot. I'm not sure I have this pinned down or others who've made a comment about it, but it seems curious that she left her water pot. The water pot was a primary daily tool of her work, her life. They were expensive, necessary, and sometimes could not easily be replaced. She left her water pot. Excitement about finding the Christ? Maybe a representation that she now understood there is another kind of water. But don't spend much time on that about the water pot. Spend your time doing what she did after this encounter. Verse 39 says, Many of the Samaritans had come to Christ and believed in him because of the word of the woman. Thank you for listening.